Hello, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Milo, and joining me are Ram and Steph. Hello, chaps. Hello, mate. Hey, Milo. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. This week, we're going to be talking about Ryan Mason's first week in his second spell as Spurs interim manager, a week where we've staged two comebacks against tough opponents, but our defensive frailties have cost us. Are we all Masonistas now? We'll find out shortly. The pod this week is a day late because Steph made his way up to Anfield yesterday, so we couldn't record on Sunday like, like we normally do. Steph, how was your away day? What was it like? And did you stay past the 15th minute? First of all, how dare you ask me that question? <laughs> Unbelievable. He's gone in, he's gone in two-footed. He's gone in two-footed. That's not even a VAR review, that. My word. Deary me. Oh, so I won't dignify that with an answer. Um <laughs> Look, I, I felt I was keeping an I was keeping an eye out for you. <laughs> oh dear! Uh, look, I, yesterday, bar sixteen minutes, was one of the best away days I've had for a long, long time. The first fifteen minutes were atrocious, obviously, in the last last minute. Uh, the bits in between were everything. It was sort of like, and we've referenced the episode of this uh, TV show many times on this pod. It was like that last episode of Six Feet Under where you see you sort of see everyone's lives encapsulated. Well, that was Tottenham Hotspur encapsulated. Uh, it was shit. Uh, then it kind of steadied. Then it got sort of hopeful. Then it was brilliant. We got the terrible decisions against us, the awful luck. We got the absolute biggest buzz of all time. And then, the, and then as you said in the intro, the sucker punch. I've I, I got to be honest, given that we're not running for the Champions League anymore, I thought it was an amazing day, even though we lost. I have more positives from this than negatives. You know, I really do. It was very nearly perfect, wasn't it? It was... Oh, oh dear. Deary me. And, and and I have to say, just a shout out for what I think are the best away supporters in the country. The away support was, was brilliant. Uh, bar the, the self-deprecating songs, which I don't get into. I'm not into those. But you know, for 70 minutes again incessant support and you could see those players growing with it I watched it with my own two eyes they they drank it in and that whole second half was was almost a, the great love affair returned it was brilliant brilliant it came across loud and clear on TV that's for yeah, sure fantastic and I have to say I also can I, I don't know if this is the appropriate moment to say this but I did uh, lose my dignity at one point uh, during that second half and I would leave you to guess when that might have been Rams giggling because he knows exactly when it was um, but let me just say that to the main Liverpool stand, I not only supplied an, uh, an oral commentary of my thoughts, but I very considerately offered sign language as well, which I thought was very polite. <laughs> but they had the last laugh because I was still standing. And, and I mean, as, as you know, anyway, I'm sucking the air out of it. It was a great day, mate. I, even though it was horrible, it was brilliant as well. So. Awesome. Yeah, and you had a late night and a big weekend, so we're we're lucky to have you on a Monday. Thank you. They say that at the end when you're like, Christ, I have to edit this idiot <laughs> because he's waffling. <laughs> <laughs> and we should say that you're talking to us on your phone on slightly flaky Wi-Fi, uh, Wi-Fi aren't you? So yeah. if we're not quite up to our normal high standards of um, you know, high fidelity audio, then th- then that's why. And if and if Steph disappears, then. <laughs> Um, I haven't cut him off. It's not. It's not vindictiveness. I'm not trying to stop him you know, launching into a twenty minute, a twenty minute defence of Eric, Eric Dyer or anything. It's just. Um, I'm still sort of coming down from parts of it. You know, it was, again. Uh, I can tell. Yeah, I yeah. can tell. Again, another great with my brother Johnny as well. I must say, so I have to give Johnny a shout out and and Amir and his son Ben. Great, it's really good. So excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. That seems like a good point to talk to move on to the match itself. And uh, what did you think of the team selection? Who's first up? Ram, uh, come yeah, on. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, well, 
I think it was possibly the strongest eleven we could put out. I think before the game, I'd have put forward an argument for maybe keeping Longley in and putting Davis in at left wing back. Um, that's I, you know, in hindsight, probably Perisic. You know, he, did, he obviously provided an assist and he did well. But um, I also think it was a tad harsh on Richarlison to be left out, as I thought he was decent mm-hmm. against Manu. But again, that also depends on what formation we we think we started with. <laughs> It's an interesting one on Perisic. So Perisic notched notched up his eighth assist uh, in the Premier League yesterday. Currently, he's got more assists this season. So uh, Bruno Fernandes, Christian Eriksen, James Madison, Odegaard, Mm. Jack Grealish, and we've been slating him. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, team selection, Steph. Yeah, it was pretty much what I expected. I think, like you just said, Ram, probably the only question was whether Decky was going to retain his place. Um, when his place back, he was dropped go. for the previous game with Richardson coming yeah, in. Yeah, so fair enough. And uh, win his place back. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't surprised by it. I mean, you know, I'd have probably like yourself like to see Longley in there as well, and Ben Davis deployed at me. But, but I also saw the common sense in Perisic. Yeah. yeah. Remarkably undramatic take on the team selection, actually. Mm. Sorry about that. I'll do better next time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd say that uh, Perisic's form and Sonny's form has really improved since we've had that switch where Sun's been playing furthest forward. So I think yeah. you know, it's, it's, I think it's created more space for Perisic to operate in. Yeah. Um, and we're also seeing with Sonny, I think he's got four goals in six games since we moved him up top. And you know, I think you know, he was clearly struggling before that, but his form's improved. Yeah, you know, massively, and you know we were having debates earlier on this season about whether you know kind of Sonny's form was declining, it was was terminal, whether that was it, or or whether there was something else going on. And I think it, it, it's just it was just shitty tactics. And I think we'll kind yeah. of get onto that a bit more when we talk about kind of what Ryan, Ryan Mason's done. We will, um, but um, it it just seems odd with you know Perisic when we think you know Perisic was probably the most archetypal kind of Conte signing when we looked at the business over the mm-hmm. summer as you know who you know he, he's the one nailed on we would have said was a Conte signing but I think it's pretty clear to me that he's really suffered with Conte's tactics and it's kind of smothered him and son and not allowed them to play which is bizarre I think that as you said we'll get onto this later with regards to Ryan Mason I think you could say that about several players and I think that's mm. why this game mm. as we will continue to talk about was so so important uh, you know yeah yeah. Let's say talking about tactical changes. So, were there any you've noticed from the previous game, from the Manchester United game um, earlier in the week, Steph? You want me to start? Um, Can if you want. I have to say, I got. I only saw the Man United game in a replay because, as you're aware, I've been sort of out and about mm. um, trying to earn a crust. So, uh, not really in a place to, to discuss how how I felt about the tactics for the Man United game. To be honest, that. I, the tactics for this game, I was looking and uh, well, we're going to get into what we thought was a switch and what we thought wasn't, right? I mean, the big question here was, where was Decky? Pick up was, now, Steph. Where, yeah. was Decky, where was Decky going to operate in this lineup? Was it a three or was he going to be deployed somewhere in a five across the middle? Well, we, we debated whether, you know, as we looked at the lineup, uh, walking to the ground, were we going to see Decky playing in a 10 role? Probably debated that it wouldn't happen because that would be maybe a step too far. Um, you know, but it was you just we weren't too sure where he was going to set up, but it didn't look like he it looked like a three uh, when we kicked off. You mean a front three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yes. Um, so I'm um, so we were debating this before we came on, and it was something that I was debating against myself, uh, you know, against myself uh, earlier on. I'd say rewatch the game pretty much specifically to look at this point. So from the point the second goal goes in onwards, we're certainly playing five three two with Decky on the 
on the right of a of a midfield three. The problem b- before that point is, so Deki's role there is, is situational. So when we're attacking, he'll join a th- front three, he moves forward, um, and he joins that later on. Um, you know, along with the along with the wing backs. Um, and the problem we've got is that before that, there isn't really any settled play from Spurs in order to judge his position. And it's a bit chaotic and a bit messy. So I think it's, I'm not sure. He might have been in a front three to start with and drop back into a midfield three. He might have been a midfield three and it was just chaotic. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I think on balance, it was probably a three, a midfield three all the way through, but I'm not 100% on that. Ram? I think the way you described that, Milo, is probably exactly what the players, was going through the players. I'll tell you what yeah. I did observe tactically, and I don't quite know where this fits into shapes and forms. And again, I was in the flow of the emotion of the game as much as I was analysing it, because as we well know, it's a different game when you're in a stadium, you're watching from a different perspective. I, I will tell you that uh, Klopp very, very clearly targeted Perisic and Paro. He knew that there was going to be a good change out of Paro and he knew there was going to be good change in getting a ball round round and in behind him. I mean, I don't think it takes too much homework to see that. Um, and I, I have to say, I thought Perisic fought a brave battle against Salah, but um, I, in the first half an hour, I thought it was very, he was having given a, ve- a very tough time. But, so let's come on, we'll come on to that. So I think the other thing with the tactical changes, so if we talk about the United game briefly, um, we had Richarlison and Son up top with Kane playing just behind them in the pocket yes. um, with a with a two-man midfield. This one we switched around. Uh, Kane's playing further forwards, you know, you know just off just off Son. Um, Decky's in a midfield three. I think the interesting thing here is that Skip was at the base of the midfield three, which is the first time we've seen Skip play as the deepest player in midfield since Milan. Milan, when he was alongside um, Saar, was the only other time we've seen it this season. Normally, what we've seen with the three is Hoybier as the deep, deepest and Skip on on the left of the three. So that that was a change. Um, and then, obviously, later on, you see uh, Sar come on into Deki's position and actually play pretty much the same as, as Deki was. Um, yeah, that's a, I think that's the you know the the main change between the two. But it's interesting because we're seeing variation game to game there, Vari- variation in tactics. Um, and and Mason's talked about some of that, and and it's we haven't seen that with. Um, with Conte particularly this season? I mean, I don't know if this is the appropriate moment to talk about Hoybier in that tactical shift uh, or if you want to bring it up later. You want to, can we do it now? You can pick up now if you want. So, I mean, one of the things that's very, very pre- uh, that was very, very obvious, I should say, um, in that first 15, 20 minutes was Hoybier was, comp- uh, he looked completely lost to me. He didn't look like, he was much, it didn't look like he knew really where to be, what to cover. Things were bypassing him. He wasn't having an effect on the play in any way. Now, I say that as someone who, you know, had advocated for him to be, you know, one of the further, you know, not playing at the base, if you will, not being that player mm. because he's got the, you know, the attacking capabilities. So maybe this goes back to what you said, that we didn't actually get the ball <laughs> for the first five minutes and we were already behind. So I don't know, but that's um, possibly a reason I mean, why we were so easy to go through in that first, you know, 10 minutes. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say that Hoybier's been letting players get past him for quite a while now sure. and hasn't been the best. So I wouldn't say that was particularly uh, new, depending on, you know, based on that change in position. But um, yeah, anyway, let, let's move on, actually, because this is a nice segue into kind of that first 15 minute spell when it was looking a bit Newcastle-esque for, uh, right. for the moments. And I don't know about you, but when that second goal went in, I was going to think, oh, fuck, here we go again. And you know that Liverpool front line, although that you know that 
they're, they're, they're a bit of a mess and they, they need a real build similar to us. But that front line is you know better than what Newcastle are putting out. And you, I was worried at that point. What did you think and what do you think is going on? I think, um, well, I think tactically in the first 15, just going back to that. And, and you know, I, I, I asked this uh, before we started. I wonder if there was a radical attempt at a change of tactics. But with our players being so conditioned to be out of out of condition for any tactics other than Conte's. We looked lost at sea. And I think that with that, because the players were confused, because it was chaotic, zero tracking of players, of, of Liverpool players. There was comical defending, woeful out of possession. Um, and we just, we looked completely lost at sea. Um, and I think when you put Liverpool's forward line up against that, then that's what's going to happen. And that's what happened. And it, it, it doesn't have to be Liverpool. Read, you know, two weeks ago against Newcastle is exactly the same result. So I think, you know, I think that that first 15 minutes was worrying. And I was, I was, um, you know, I have, for me, I think I've, I've got a bit disconnected from Spurs this season. And it's nothing to do with like being enti- an entitled fan who expects success. It's more a case of, I, I always have fun watching Spurs. Even when we were shit, I had fun watching Spurs. And it just hasn't been fun mm. for a little while, you know? So I just, and I think, you know, I, I kind of maybe went a bit um, hyperbolic in, in, in the in the chat by saying, you know, I'm, I'm completely, this is just boring, predictable, um, you know? And I was just like, I, I was expecting it, you know? But yeah, I think that was it. I think, you know, that we... We just don't didn't have know what to do. I don't know if there's a you know we were trying a radical attempt at changing something, uh, you know, changing formation or changing the way we play, and it's just not working because we're still so conditioned to what we're used to earlier in the season. It was very very strange. I I remember looking and thinking. We were getting pressured so much from the kickoff. That was obvious. Liverpool were on to us and we just didn't seem ready for that. That was my mm. first confusion. I'm like, why are we not, you know, why are we not as intensely in this game as Liverpool are? And then you look at all the pressure points that Liverpool hit. You know, they were they were hitting, you know, they were hitting Perisic. They were hitting behind Porro. Our central defenders, I think, both have a lot to to answer for. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Our central defenders, sorry, let me say this again. Mm-hmm. Our central defenders both have a lot to answer for in mm-hmm. that first 15 minutes. Not just Derek Dyer, who, it has to be said, was not his shining best, um, mm-hmm. as, you know, being polite. But I thought Romero was all over the shop as well. And I watched Romero cause, uh, very closely, and I, I feel very sorry for him in a sense. But in another sense, this is a time he has to get a grip of himself. You know, this is a, a player who has an outstanding ceiling. He's got the potential to be one of the best defenders in the world, but he's very, very emotionally reactive still. And, and mm. you know, he's not so much diving into things as he was, but you can see mentally that that goal, the early goal, he was he was thrown completely. So it was more, it was much more of a, they just looked like they went into shock. And they got caught. Liverpool caught us three mm-hmm. times because we, you know, it's like stunning, uh, stunning someone, and then they come around. That's what it was like. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, defence is struggling for form at the moment. I think there's um, there's a couple of threads that I think have been kind of consistent for a while. I think Porro and Romero have got a little bit of an issue with communication. I think and and which way yeah. they're going. So, um, and we'll come on to the Man United game, but the first Man United goal and the the first goal Newcastle scored against us. Um, um, both came down their side. Uh, both were a winger going on the outside. Um, uh, Porro was taking the outside channel and Romero was go- went the same way rather than to covering the inside and then the shot got away. And I think with this one, um, Porro and Romero are both um, 
taking Diaz. And Romero's got him to start with, and then he he drops back onto Porro. So Porro can't leave him at that point. At the, the, the point the ball goes over, uh, Porro gives Diaz a push in the back. Yeah. And then tries to and then tries to go back and pick up uh, Curtis Jones, but th- there's just that not that communication there. And I think I, don't, I think it's it's something we can work on. Um, it sh- you know it should be fixable, but it's a little bit of a problem at the moment. I think. Um, and then if you go to the to the second goal, this is an interesting one because um, the, both the second and third goal, Dyer pushes out on them. So um, on the second goal, Sun's beaten by Alexander Arnold. He, he's he's uh, muscled off the ball. Um, Dyer's start, starting position is higher than the other two centre-backs. Um, and then he pushes up close to Gakpo, and, but stands off. Um, and I don't think he needed to do that. That we, we were three on two in midfield at that point. And then Gakpo, um, there's a pass out and Gakpo runs behind Dyer. And Dyer's slow to read it and, and get back. So the, the Salah pass takes out three Spurs players. It takes out Perisic, Dyer and Davis. Yeah. And then, then Romero's not close enough on, on, on Diaz. And with the penalty, Dyer rushes out to close down Salah. He clatters Salah. I'm not sure if you noticed when the ball goes through. Mm-hmm. And there's, I was thinking back. So when we played Man City early in the season, when Stellini and Mason were in charge, um, Dyer, I don't know if you remember, so Dyer was coming out and yeah. um, rushing out of defence and, uh, and yeah. closing down in midfield. And then he did the same the following week against Leicester and it, it didn't work as well. Yeah, And evidently that was a Mason tactical switch and i wonder whether i don't know whether this was something we were trying in this game and he was trying it again and um early on you saw romero coming out and closing down diaz quite a lot but you'd expect it from romero um but dyer was coming you know the second and third goal he comes out presses man and they get him behind and yeah it's a bit of an odd one it's an interesting thing because if that is a tactical uh deployment of dyer to do this then we should be set up to deal with it we should be set up to and, deal with the potential that he's not going to achieve his stated goal, <laughs> and and, yeah. and 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 nobody else was nobody was nobody was on their game in that first fifteen minutes. So it, it's very odd, and that's why I was I mean, really surprised that we didn't sit and set nobody. Go on. No, no, I was going to say, you know, if we're doing that, Dyer's got to take it because you know we know that he's slow on the turn, and we know that you know he, he's he's fine as a straight line runner, but when he's got to turn and come back right. or you know anything like that, he's you know he's, he's just. His sentence of balance, his turning circle just isn't there anymore. It just puts it, you know, you see the worst of him then. But so what's really, and again, I think what's really interesting is that being the case and that being something that I think every, you know, every Tottenham Hotspur supporter has seen and noted Mm -hmm. and commented on. You have to think as a, as as a coaching staff, they know this. And so there must be, you know, there must be um, compromises made. To, to affect mm. this tactic. And so who else then isn't doing their job? And so, you know, then I have to look at Romero. Then I have to look at, uh, you look at uh, Poro and you look at Perisic. Now with Poro and Perisic, these two players who are not necessarily the best defenders in the world. I mean, Ivan Perisic was, let's face it, not considered as a defender for, for most of his career. I mean, he, he hasn't been. He's been converted by Conte. And then Pedro Porro is a wing-back. So we're asking two players there to compensate for us possibly a slow centre-half. And we've then got, you've got one expert, Christian Romero, who, who is off his game. So it's a dangerous tactic all round. And I just have to say, after the first, uh, first goal, maybe, definitely after the second, I saw no leadership on the pitch at no. all. Nobody Again. settling them down. Nobody. It took the third goal. And then something started to happen. And, 
and which leads us on nicely. I'd, I'd say it's possible that Dyer was freelancing with that. It, yeah, it might not have been, <laughs> but it's just it's just very similar to a tactic yeah. that Mason we, was meant to have suggested earlier in the season. If, it, I don't know if I'm right with um, when he was pressing up and Sonny got pressed, wasn't it? His ball to Sonny that Sonny coughed up. Didn't he play? Didn't he play that pass to Sonny? Mm. So Sonny loses it. Yeah. So he's already advancing with the ball and then played that pass. Mm. And then he's like, oops, you're right. Maybe he did freelance there and think, oh shit, I've got to try and do something right here and, I mean, and got slipped through yeah. those. But anyway, let's and, not, uh, let's not, uh, <laughs> let's not deliberate Dyer, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't he's defended done. him. He, he, we're, we're 22 minutes in and I want you to note, I have not um, erected a defence monument yet. I want that to be noted. Let's, <laughs> Let's move on from that. So the, the last 15 minutes, I'm going to stretch that. I'm going to say last 20 minutes of the first half, because I think there's one passage of play that particularly I think is the turning point. Um, we came into the game again. We steadied our sh- ship. I think the passage of play I'm, I'm talking about, there was a, a sequence of, of passes where we held the ball, played out yes. of defence, and it ended up with Perisic being caught just offside. Yep. But we, there was a sequence of, I don't know, ten, I haven't gone back and counted them, but 10 or yes. so passes where we, we, we managed to beat the... Liverpool press and it might be the first time we managed to pass our way through pressure for yeah. quite some time it would be known and, in the away end as the ironic Olay moment yes no we could hear that yeah. I, yeah. I, and I think I didn't join into with that I can assure you but anyway when I no you'd left by then um, <laughs> <laughs> he's going for it again Dan. I can't believe it I mean if the last if the last one wasn't a straight red and he got a yellow surely this is a red isn't it? where's Barnell like, Steph Steph just getting back by um, pontificating about um, metaphorically how our play was like a Komodo dragon sanctuary or something yeah. I, work, I like that I'll work on a metaphor like but so that that felt to me like the point where we we tried things. I think actually throughout this game, I think maybe this is the point you were making earlier on, Steph. You know, we're we're very very rough around the edges, and but we we are trying things, yeah. and we're trying mm-hmm. things that we haven't tried for a while. There was some half hearted yeah. pressing that was quite nice to see as well. You know, and these <laughs> things are difficult to establish. These are difficult to establish through <laughs> midway through a season. You know, and particularly yeah. when he's had one week in charge and he's had two games against two of the biggest clubs or the two biggest clubs in the country. Um, you know, not easy. Um, but we are trying things. You know, we we talked about those tactical changes. We've got game to game as well. That's a novelty. We haven't seen that this season mm-hmm. or for a while. So, how did you feel about that kind of last twenty minutes? And obviously, it was kind of capped off with Kane scoring a lovely work goal. Uh, yeah. But there were some other good chances as well. What do you think changed at that point? I think I, want, I, I do want to give us credit, obviously, and we'll talk about character in a bit and things like that and, you know, us clawing our way back into the game. But I do think initially um, the credit does have to go to Liverpool because I think they completely did take their foot off the gas mm. and started coasting. And I think without that, we might not have got back into the game as as um, proficiently uh, as we did. Um and I think this current Liverpool team is quite fragile. So mm-hmm. once we looked like we could find a way back, they panicked. Um, yeah. And then I think that's what basically we, I mean, then we were like, okay, we're going to show fight. And that's how we got it back to three all. I mean, let's face it, their defensive errors were every bit as bad as ours in the first 15 minutes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the space that Kane had in the box 
for mm. that. Not, not taking anything away from his finish. And actually the absolutely sublime pass from Skip to Perisic. And then Perisic is a master of um, that kind of almost feigning across and then bringing, bringing it back onto his other foot. Um, so yeah, you know, and then, and obviously Kane had all the space in the world in the box, but yeah, it was, uh, their, their defending is like, like you said, just as comical as ours at, at times. Thanks for mentioning that Skip pass because I think that's what he brings to the base of midfield. Hoybier would struggle yeah. to do the same kind of pass and it was just it was inch perfect it was wonderful wasn't it Steph what did you think of that last 20 pass, like the pass spoke for itself yes in the last 20 minutes I just first of all it was around well it was around what the 20th minute that I started to see Harry and a couple mm. of other mm. seniors uh, Harry and Ben Davis in particular the two um, I did see Eric Dyer also starting to to talk a little more and to and to communicate and there was an exchange between uh, Mason and, uh, and Kane at one point on the sideline of what they said um, that something was going on. And, you know, there was, I I was really impressed that we managed to stem the the, the tide because at three nil, I thought we were looking at another six or seven. I really did. Mm. And I didn't see a way out. We did manage to stem the tide. As you said, Ram, Liverpool did definitely go into coasting mode. Um, But, you know, it was really fascinating. Once we saw that they were there for the taking and let's face it, Decky missed the sitter. And someone had one off the upright as well. So yes. that was yeah. so Decky's De- chance was forty one, and and Sun's off the upright was forty three minutes. So yeah, there was a, so there was good yes, few chances. Yeah, and and you know, so we're seeing, you know, and and so I, I think I mean Kane's goal was a very very important goal because it set it re- it reminded us that with a little more juice and a little more positivity, we could we could maybe get something from this game and. You know, it's. I just think Liverpool. It wasn't enough to sting Liverpool into action. It's almost like if we'd gone in three-two down, we probably would have lost that game four or five-two because Liverpool would have come out on the swarm. Mm. So I, I mean, as perverse as this sounds, going in three-one down in the circumstances was not the worst situation in the world because we're still coasting and uh, we still had a chance. Yeah. I mean, of course, I'd rather we hadn't given away three goals in the first fifteen minutes, but there we go. So at half time, I actually felt very confident we could get something, and I actually said to Johnny. I said, I think there's something on here, you know, and uh, we'll let a chuckle and then so, we, you know, can't. <laughs> so Jürgen Klopp was, was one of his many kind of ungracious um, comments yesterday. He was saying about, I think it was in the post-match press or might have been one of the interviews where he was saying the difficulty of playing with against us is that we don't, we're not like other teams where we'll start opening up and we just play on, we just carry on playing on the break, which I think is unfair because I don't think we were doing that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Well, what game was, was that cretin watching for the second half? Oh, uh, I, mean, I know we're yeah, not I mean, in the second half yet. But what game yeah. is he talking about? The last do, twenty do you know, minutes. Do you know what? The last twenty minutes, know, we were we were breaking on them. We, we were pressing we, them. Do, do you know what it is? I actually think it's because if you look at like the possession stats and the amount of passes, so that Liverpool had like sixty eight percent possession, they had almost double the passes we had. So on paper, and when you when you look at the game in in with those you know with those kind of glasses on, it looks like we're just soaking everything up well, and then I just can, trying to hit I on can, the break. Me, let, but we know that that's not the case. Let me in tell reality. you. Let me tell you, my friend. In my Tom Ford converted sunglasses to, to to viewing glasses. The statistics lied. It did not mm. feel like we had half as much possession as Liverpool. Mm. So I, I I I don't know where that comes from. I'm sure that it's accurate. Didn't feel like that for seventy no, minutes of but, the game. No. But there's more than one way of playing football, so we don't really need to you know worry about that so much. We're not trying to play mm. the same as Liverpool at, at half time. My son shouted downstairs to me. He'd, he'd retreated upstairs during the first half. He shouted, Daddy, are you getting goals yet? And 
<laughs> and your reward for that comment was to take him to the Wicker Man reinvention in your local yeah, town. That's right. yes, how pleasant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He thought that I should have stopped watching at three 0 He thought he thought there was no point at that point. Yeah, maybe that might be that might be the only time he's ever said anything that's inaccurate. Uh, let's skip. <laughs> let's skip to the second half because okay. the passage of play or the, you know, how play was going towards the end of the the first half continued into the second, and then on the sixty fifth minute we saw Sar come on for Decky, and I think it was what the first of you know quite aggressive use of substitutions or proactive use of substitutions maybe is a better way of putting it from Mason, which I think is another change from we've seen more recently um what did you make of say that change and and, and the other one so richie coming on and, and and then obviously the hold back the the wing backs actually because we'll come back to that later on but the his use of subs i'll, I'll chip in here first round if you don't mind i thought his use of subs yeah. was excellent i mean I, I won't pretend that i understood the movie he was making with sar and decky when he made it um but it turned out to work extremely well because sar somehow seemed to be uh, quietly uh quietly effective in solidifying the push that we were making um mm. you know he's a very very he's a very intelligent player uh he does things that are not flash but that are very very competent and and, and they just it felt like he was really helping us maintain the metronome of pressure that we were that we were deploying um you know i think poro obviously got a lot more you know he he was getting into the game a lot more at that point as well uh, I thought it was. A, I thought it was a really smart substitution. It wasn't I, obviously the like-minded one. You think would be, you know, you're going to bring on a Richarlison for Decky. It didn't happen. You know, uh, Richarlison was always going to come on, and the reason for that is because he was always going to score. To, you know, yesterday if he got on the pitch, we were we, we knew it. We said that. So we'll come to that. I th- I think the Saar. I mean, the position Decky was playing. I think Saar was like for like, and I think the interesting thing with Saar is when he was playing at he was on loan at Mets last season. They were playing as a number ten. So. He can play anywhere, yeah. kind of through the middle in midfield. He has played yeah. more advanced. Um, I don't think it was a tactical change at that point. I think you know it was maybe just some legs, and I, th- I thought he slotted in really well there. Yeah, was, I thought he did quite well. Really efficient, and that's funny. You talk of I me mean, having spent you know two weeks in Amsterdam and looking at statues of Johan Cruyff outside Ajax Stadium. I mean, that's total football. That's a total footballer in that case. And maybe in Saar, we're seeing a total footballer. I mean, you know, maybe he is a player who is going to be able to play multiple roles for us. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was on paper a little bit confusing when he came on. But as you quite rightly observed, seamless. And again, I think he really, really gave us a little bit more calm fortitude as we as we turned the, you know, as we turned the pressure up. I think the Richarlison sub was interesting because he came on for skip and Richarlison was already on the side ready to come on and then Yotta puts a stud into into Skip's forehead or you know temple and I, I wonder whether actually I wonder whether it was always going to be Richarlison's skip or whether there was a change because of the injury and I, I don't know yeah I'm not sure because I thought Skip could, was couldn't figure it out but I will tell you this we noticed that Richard stopped warming up on two or three occasions and looked like he was in a right strop. He didn't look happy because uh, people were being told to come back to the bench and their ears were being whispered in and nobody was talking to him and he was just there and he stopped warming up several times and it's almost like he had to force himself to do it again. So I think by the time he got on, and I know I'm not addressing your, your point directly, but by the time he got on, um, I'd say that he was already even more fired up than before because he didn't what? look happy. <laughs> so... so- we're talking about Richie. So he's fired up. His first league goal for Spurs is at Anfield. It was written, wasn't it? 
It was, but it's such a shame that his goal essentially meant nothing in the end. No, it would no, have been a fair no, tell. No, I'm not goal. having that. Not Go having on. that. Absolutely not. <laughs> it meant everything, even though it meant nothing, because nobody okay. will forget. Nobody who is there is going to forget that that 45 minutes to a second, to, to 45 seconds to a minute. It was glorious. It felt, it felt like Aaron Lennon four four at the Emirates. It was that level. Yeah of absolute pandemonium and joy and the crescendo of a Nick of an energy exchange between the away support and the team and it will mean everything to him i'm sure it will okay let let me let me um quantify what i meant with that <laughs> you mean with the <laughs> fact agree, that we didn't get a fucking I, point out of the game right? yeah yeah I, that, yeah that i agree detail, with, you're yeah, right you're i right. agree with everything you said and i said to you in the in our chat as well i was driving listening to the radio at the time at this point and i almost crashed the car when he scored did you give your insurance um, to the person you did hear <laughs> <laughs> or did you just take off like richarlison with a bit of yeah <laughs> i just jumped out the car and ripped my shirt did off a pigeon walk. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the, the thing is <laughs> The thing is, it would have been a fairy tale first yeah. goal, but like in in context away from how we felt about it as Tottenham fans and how you felt about it being in the stadium, the only part of his contribution now that's being referenced outside of that is his is his celebrations and what happened after, yeah. rather than the fact that it, it was yeah. such a pivotal, important goal. This is and, it, and it's also it's pivotal for him as well, you know, yeah. but. Um, but I, so I agree with you, but I also think, yeah, in, in, you know, com- completely cold, hard facts, it didn't mean anything <laughs> in, in terms of the result. And <laughs> cold, hard, what? <laughs> what I, know, I know we What's don't like that F word you use that I don't like very much. <laughs> We're, we're not dealing. We're not dealing with those today, Steph. We've got. We've got. We've got. We've got a man on the ground. Wow. We've got a man on the ground, and I'm assuming, Steph, that there were limbs, as, oh. as I believe they say. So there was a brilliant. I'd, I'd had behind me. There was a bloke that I can only say must have been um, inhabited by the spirit of Peter Cook, because he spent half the game like his comment. The Bollocks. comments he made just sounded like he's like, oh, well, I mean, you don't pass a football like that. I mean, you just don't do it like that. I've told him, don't fucking pass. What is he doing? Oh, no. Oh, no. What is he doing? So there was that going on amongst the singing, and there was a lot of singing. Yes. I, I, I mean, they kissing so me standing. Well, that bloke gave me a hug from behind. I hugged Johnny. <laughs> I hugged the bloke in front of me because I was climbing on his shoulders to try and stand on the safe standing thing. I nearly <laughs> broke the seat in front of me jumping. And I must admit, I, I, I had to make sure I avoided eye contact with anyone in the main stand to my right. Because as I say, my sign language was so vigorous. At one point, I wonder, I did take a quick look for a camera to make sure I wasn't on camera. But I was not alone. Loads, I mean, it was the culmination. Loads of people were oh, involved in what I felt was, uh, you yeah. know, it was. A, I felt that was a communal effort. And I really feel, yeah. this goes to what I've been saying a lot about, you know, uh, and I've got stick for this from people, about when you berate players and when you boo and so on and so forth. I understand yeah. people get disappointed at the end of a game you'll boo. But, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes, the, self, the self-deprecating songs about our club, which I'll never engage in, I understand frustration. I was frustrated as well. But you looked at the players. They were crestfallen. Mm. They were crestfallen because they're 3-0 down. And, and there's nothing. The moment we started to sing up, you saw them grow. I saw it. I mean, I'm not, mm. I know, you know, the spirit thing. I saw it. And more and more, we're getting corners and, there's, and people are just whipping up and come on. And 
and and Anfield was silent for for three quarters mm. of that game, and we, our players felt it. They really felt was. it. Yeah, they yeah, felt yeah. it. And I feel that the fans really helped drive that performance. Let's just get onto that sucker punch that you mentioned, Ram. So, <laughs> a minute, a minute after the goal, Yossa has it laid on the plate for him by Mason. Um, was this a result of Mason going for it and leaving us open? You know, no, to, not to, at all. To dare is to do if you if, if you prefer. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, was it? You know, we talked about the subs. Yeah, you know, was it the right thing to do to go for it? It was absolutely 100%. the right thing to do, and it was the right thing to bring Lucas on. You know, from what we had on the bench, this is a hundred percent on Lucas for me because that that his his touch for that um, for his mistake. That I mean, that's not even Sunday league level, and 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 he's done it. He's done it before as well. This is it's not the first time he's cost us points no. this season, and um, yeah, so that's a hundred percent on Lucas for me. You know, if that if that was anyone else, they might have they might not have tried to um, play it back across you know across our box almost or into our box. They might have just booted it out first time or like, you know, let it bounce and hit them and then boot it forward. There was no need to try and, you know, play well, like some sort of sublime <laughs> through ball to, to, to Jota. I haven't watched it back uh, because I've almost pretended it didn't happen. Mm. Um, if I remember correctly, Liverpool were pressing still and they did press him. As that ball no. was coming, though no, they weren't pressing. No, so, obviously, yeah. I know it came back to me. We all, so, our first reaction was, he, he, "Why didn't he just welly it upfield?" Yeah, so, he had time. It, it came to him a bit awkwardly, I mm, think. You mm. know, but he had time to either just. It, it might have been. You know, he could have messed up uh, by are you, like. Are you suggesting? It first an, time, but. Are you suggesting a no look pass inside to his partner that he hopes has been there but has not been? Hundred percent consistent for the whole game. Anyway, was maybe not the smartest thing. Would I, I would I would I would tend to agree with that assessment. Yeah, I mean he passes it behind Romero, so I, I think yeah, I think it's a bit harsh on Romero. I mean, well, it is. It's not Romero's fault at all. I'm not saying that. Yeah, back to kind of Klopp's comment earlier on about us playing on the break. It's a fucking great big hoof from Becker. That's what it is, and yes. uh, it's a hopeful hoof upfield. Which is going that. nowhere. If if Mora wasn't there, it ends up in the stands, and we can waste two minutes taking yeah. a throw in, and we've what and we've got a, we've got a point. So him being there caused the goal. Um, he's not being he's not being pressured. I mean, they, they are moving up with the hoof, but he's got plenty of time. He could have taken a touchdown okay. and played it downfield. Um, yeah, he could have done any number of things. Uh, he waves a foot at it and 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 pa- and you know passes it back um, behind Romero to. Toyota and and then yeah, Romero and Dyer both tried to get back in cover but don't get close enough. Um yeah, it it's it is his. But I mean I think I think you know the point you're making Ram about whether it was the right thing to do, I agree with that. You know, the point that came on it was ninety minutes, we were three two mm-hmm. down and he's he's trying to make aggressive subs and, and win the game. And, and I think that's what we'd all want. The fact that one of them made a mistake a few minutes later doesn't make that decision the wrong one. Absolutely right. It, I mean, anyone who criticises the, the decision is doing so with that benefit of hindsight. Everyone talks about how mm. easy that is. We can all we can all uh, say it was bad in that context, but it was the right thing to do. We had to go for it. We were going for it. Uh, and, and, you know, if he hadn't done it and we'd have lost 3-2, everyone would have been saying, well, they could have thrown an extra forward on him. But the truth of the matter is, and I'll say this, Lucas Moura didn't lose us that game. He didn't. His mistake no. in that moment didn't lose us that game. What lost us that game were three atrocious concessions in the first fifteen minutes from one of the from a horrific fifteen minutes no. uh, that, from Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And let's be honest, we sh- you know those mistakes don't happen. We win. We win that game. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah. So anyway, what did you think of Liverpool? I think they're very similar to us. Uh, I, th- I think that you know they can be they can be breathtaking going forwards. Um, I think they're really susceptible at the back to individual brain farts and also collective brain farts. Um, you know, so I, I yeah, I, I, I kind of see a bit of ourselves in them. I think they have a bit more consistency both in game. Uh, maybe except with the exception of yesterday and um uh, and in general um i think they need a rebuild like us mm. as well you know and i wonder whether for Klopp it's whether he's got the energy to do it again which i, I you know he, he may I, well do but <laughs> i say you, you say about their kind of quality up front let them be managed by Con- conte for a year <laughs> yeah, for, for a year and a bit and then see, yeah. see how they're playing <laughs> and, and nuno before that and Mourinho exactly. before that. <laughs> exactly i mean I, I, exactly i mean I'll, I'll say that you know after the games we're walking out through, through stanley park um we, we ended up talking to to a few scousers and and you know let me let me put this on record um and again Liverpool Football Club seem to get a lot of abuse from people. I don't understand it. I've never had a bad day out there, even when I've had a bad result. Um, supporters have always been great. And that includes when we won up there in the FA Cup all those years ago, 2-1. They're, they're, the match-going Liverpool supporter is very, very much, I think, akin to the match-going Spurs supporter. You know, they know their football. So they were talking and they were saying that they felt that Klopp was too loyal to certain players and had been too loyal in his time. And that he did need to shift, but you know they they were telling me that they had no real confidence that their ownership was actually going to give him yeah. what he wanted, there's... unless you know. And and so there's a they are actually a little concerned. What well, not concerned about Klopp himself, but they are concerned. But they most certainly identified. Uh, I mean, Ray Charles identified this. We all did that. Their their central midfield is crap, and uh, and that there's and that you know their defenders are, are knackered. You know, so there's yeah. a growing FSG out movement up there yeah. so it's, it's uh, yeah not dissimilar to us and wow. um, and and on twitter if you if you delve into kind of liverpool twitter um there's quite a lot who are calling for Klopp's head which again i think is probably kind of new fans who i don't think anyone who's kind of followed liverpool for any time would be would be calling for that um but kind of yeah the kind of weirdness of kind of online football fandom and yeah. um kind of short-termism and reactionary you know kind of reactionary opinions and you know and as we covered loads of times before unfortunately kind of twitter and facebook and what have you rewards um loud shitheads by um, it's a fas- by, by, it's- by giving them lots of likes and retweets so no, it's, it's a fascinating discussion and maybe you know maybe in our non-european pods that we'll be quite possibly doing next season we can get into it because mm-hmm. i do think and and nothing showed it to me more um than yes, than yes, this game. It is a very different experience for match-going supporters than to the online ones. And mm. because I was reading mm. some of the online responses from you know people who, for whatever reason, never get to games, and I'm not saying it's their fault, but just but you're absolutely right. There, there is a whole growing movement of of of, of commentary about football that is coming from people who never mm. actually go to games. Yeah. And again, I'm not. I'm not slating them for the fact they don't go to games. There are many reasons. Football's very expensive and, you know, it, it, it can be tough and I, I, I appreciate that. But it, it is a, it's a different game when you don't go and when you ne- or if you've never been. Yeah. Right. Let's wrap up this Liverpool section. Closing thoughts. So one positive and one negative. 30 seconds. I'm going to be strict on this this time, Steph. I'm going to be timing you. 30 mm-hmm. seconds starting now. I got to go absolutely fucking caveman on that third goal. It was an explosion of such joy 
and and delight and it just oh. and I I felt the love of my football club more than more than I have for a long time uh and I felt that from the from the comeback uh was was part of that joy and that was a massive massive positive I fucking loved it the negative is we we got no points and that Lucas robbed me of the final flourish but he couldn't kill the joy I felt from what we did overall just over, but I'll let you off. Ram. <laughs> <laughs> the negative was, um, yeah, just the way we start games in general and the way we started this game. We're, we're our own worst enemy. Um, and our positive is, I think it gave me hope. It gave me hope that all is not lost um, with a, with a lot of these players, with um, you know, with a bit more sort of direction, with a bit more, with a you know, someone coming in and just putting a given given a giving them a, a bit of a hug and a bit of a impetus to do something positive and different. I think you know we 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 got like like Steph said, we we may have got our club back. Uh, my positive, I think, it's just Ryan Mason. Actually, I think I've been impressed with how we've approached both of these games this week. And you know, it's not to say that there aren't problems there. There are massive problems there, but there are massive problems that have been there for a quite a long time. Um, and at least, do you know what? We've had a really shitty season and yeah. you know, moments where you can smile a few and you know, been few and far between. So I think, you know, even if we're not quite you know, getting what we want out of it, we should just try and you know, get the pleasure, get the enjoyment where we can out of it. And, yes. you know, kind of trying to play football, trying to take it to the other team, aggressive subs you know trying to play out from the back trying to press it you know even if it's not quite the finished article um are things to to celebrate and hopefully we'll see that kind of more polished next season but for the moment i want to look at you know things to be (laughs) reasons to be cheerful and one um, two three (laughs) and there are (laughs) there are (laughs) you know there are some there. there there are some there and I think, right, should, you right. know, and, and, and I think the question is, if he'd come in when Conte was sacked, you know, where would we be now? I think we'd be points up. Ram, he doesn't yeah. know it, but if he'd been there yesterday, we would have ended up hugging each other. Yeah. I can sense it. He would have lost it. <laughs> I know yeah. he would have lost it. And we'd have been hugging each other. Yeah. It would have been like planes changed in automobiles when John Candy, <laughs> <laughs> Steve Martin, suddenly realised but it would have been glorious for that 20 yeah. seconds yeah <laughs> I, I might have roused myself for a round of applause Steph you're right uh, <laughs> a light smattering of applause <laughs> not with my arms around you <laughs> I'd have been pinning them body, down. <laughs> body slamming you into the main stand <laughs> and Oh, I think you've covered. I think you covered the negatives. We've covered the negatives. You know, those those defensive frailties are there. I I, I think it's going to be difficult to deal with those until you know till the summer and until new players come in. But um, if we could, I think in our remaining games, if we can go out and attack and we can we can get the best out of our forwards, then I think we've got a decent decent chance of, of uh, finishing the season quite well. Mm. Um, let's move on to the Manchester United game. I think actually we, team selection and the tactics bit. I've kind of I'm sharing this and I've gone and fucked that up by talking ahead to the next game. So should I just rattle through those quickly just so we kind of we know where we are and reminded ourselves of the lineup and then we can kind of jump yeah. on to so Forster in goal, Romero Dyer Longley in defence, Poro, Hoybier, Skip, Perisic midfield, Kane in the hole, Son and Richarlison up top. Um and Kane in the hole is probably the tactical switch there with you know two in front of him. We haven't again, we haven't really seen that this season. Um what do we think? How do we? It's another two game of two halves. Should we do it like that? Should we talk uh, first half, yeah. second half? 
Well, I think that what we're seeing with Ryan Mason, uh, Tottenham, uh, is that he is trying things. He is yeah. doing things that perhaps we've talked about. Oh, wouldn't it be fun if we tried this? I mean, we've talked about it on this one. He's actually doing it. And again, what I think we're seeing at the beginning of games, and you know, look, I don't want to, I don't want to give excuses for mm. what happened at Anfield or even what happened, and then what happened in this game, because you can't start games put as poorly as this. But we go back to how you know how incessantly drilled we've been in a set system mentality mm. for the last season and a half. I just think that when these you know changes are deployed, as professional as these players are, it's still a shift, and they still have mm. to adjust. And other teams will jump on any frailty or weakness mm. we show as we adjust them. I think that's what we saw. I, I saw an interesting comment uh, on Twitter, I think when he took over, saying that when he replaced Mourinho, he inherited a team that was defensively sound, but stifled attacking. So he could keep the defence as it was and and just give the uh, forwards more freedom. But mm. this time he's inheriting a team that are defensively a shambles. So he hasn't got this quite the same bedrock to you know kind of repeat the trick. I did. I say I mentioned this earlier on with the uh, the first goal in the Liverpool game, but on this one, uh, Romero goes the same way as Porro. Both show to the outside, and Sancho cuts inside and gets the shot away, which is a carbon copy of Newcastle's opening goal the week before. And this is what's kind of making me think that there's a little bit of a communications issue with the two of them, and it should be something that they can they can fix re- relatively easily. Easily, I would have thought on the training ground. That's the kind of situation you should be able to set up and, and run through and, and and coach into where you want them to be. I really like Porro. He's having a tough time at times, but he really, really fights to get back into games, and he never ever seems to let his head drop or let the bad you know the bad moments. And he's had several get to him, and I I, I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy seeing that from a player who you know you know is going to go on to much better things. And he's twenty two yes. as well, isn't he? So he's yeah. still young. He's really really won me over with his with his spirit and attitude. I have to say. So I think let's say it's two things. So firstly, I think this summer they're going to have him on the weights, aren't they? He's going to come back significantly bigger, I think, next season, and I think you know that's an adjustment to the Premier League. Um, agree i agree with you entirely about his his spirit and you know i think both of our both of our wing backs are, are more wingy than backy and <laughs> the, um, i love it that's great and that should be a t-shirt more wing. you don't get the, you don't get this kind of in, in a detailed tactical insight anywhere else i tell yeah. you more uh, wingy than backy that might be your best of the season. I love it, uh, and and I think that's fine. You know, three with a three man defence and with two holding midfielders, you ought to be yeah. able to do that. It's yeah. just that the three at the back are a shambles, yeah. so um, it shouldn't be a problem. Uh, but I think you know you're right. I think we coach 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 that should be able to be coached into him more. Do, While we're talking do, about Poro, do. wingy backy shambles. Do do sorry. <laughs> When we talk about Poro, his goal, wow. Wow, yeah. wow, we were. Yeah, what a finish. By and, the way, Richie should have had a penalty, I think. So, But regardless. And actually against Liverpool, he had one tipped over from distance as well, didn't he? He had a shot that Becker mm. got a hand to and put over for a corner, um, which was dipping under the bar. He's got his issues. He's got stuff he needs to work on, but it's a tough league to come into. And uh, he's coming into an unsettled side. I think you're asking a lot of him to expect him to hit the ground running. I think he looks mm. one hell of a player. He will be one hell of a player. 
did what did you notice any differences between the two halves? I mean, obviously, um, we just, I mean, all of these games, we're, you know, kind of shooting ourselves in the foot, aren't we? And then coming back into them. And um, I think we've kind of gone through, you know, we have kind of gone through it though, where like, you know, Mason's trying stuff. Um, yeah. It's a bit, you know, uh, and, uh, and that's probably why, you know, that's probably what happened with in the first half of United. We look a little bit sort of, it's chaotic, you know, you use that word and I think it is, it can be a bit chaotic. Um, but then in the second half, it's like we come back in and we've got drive intensity. We start tracking where we, we get progressive, you know, and, 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 and that's what, that's what the difference is from the first halves and the second halves, um, possibly in the last three games. I mean, Liverpool, I'd say we started earlier in the first mm. half, you know, with, with sort of getting back into it. I mean, I, in this one, I, I felt that we kind of stabilized our, ourselves a bit and then with Rashford's goal. I mean, this is exactly why you don't want Dyer defending one on one with someone because he's going back and back and back and back and back. You know, not engaging Rashford. I mean, if he if he gets makes contact with Rashford, he should be able to put you know channel him away from danger. And he backs yeah. off and backs off and backs off and allows the shot to get away. And I, I I really think this kind of illustrates why I think he needs a move, but also why you know if we want to play a more you know, front foot football to use the phrase you know you're popular you, you know you enjoy using Steph he's not an option because we're going to have to play a high line in order to do that because you need to compress plays so you can go through he can't play that high up if we want to play a back four then he's going to be a lot of those one-on-one situations and he just can't do it anymore and I think he probably needs to be in a in a club where you know he's he's defending on the six yard box and 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 putting them away and I think you know Everton or you know somewhere like that is probably going to suit him better than than where we want to be next season. Oh, it's very unkind. On, I think that's, yeah. that's a very unkind thing to say, actually, because Everton is a cruel place to send anyone these days. <laughs> <laughs> Shameful. But I'm sure I'm sure you didn't mean to be quite yeah. that bad. So I, I meant style of yeah. play rather than anything. In in that oh, no. you know a Daesh, <laughs> um kind of backs to the wall defensive. You know, unit is probably. Oh, prob- I think he'd be a good leader in a team like that. Uh, having as well. just, watched, but, yeah, having yeah. just watched Michael Keane get absolutely roasted by Jamie Vardy <laughs> before I sat down for my dinner, I think that your comparison <laughs> might actually be far, far more accurate. I want to admit. Wow. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> And what do we think of Man United? <laughs> I've, I suppressed my immediate reaction. <laughs> Four-letter word. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think they're like maybe a few steps further forward than us or Liverpool. And that obviously you can judge that by their league position and they've won a cup this season. But I think Ten Hag is, he's building something at United which where, where he's a few steps ahead of the game of where we are you know they were they were at a bit of a malaise and and they seem to be finding their footing again they're still very inconsistent i think you know and much like us i think they can be breathtaking going forwards and um a bit shoddy at the back but yeah you know i think obviously their league position doesn't lie in that and i think they're they're they are on an upwards trajectory if they kind of if they get their sort of what you know get get their shit together essentially in over the summer um which is which is annoying worrying for us you know in terms of league positions and stuff but um but then i don't think we're that far behind them yeah so that's worrying worrying for us if they decide that if if levy decides that he has to cash in on kane that would be the biggest concern but uh that that mm. aside i don't know if it's the ghost of peter cook who's behind me at anfield that's in me still tonight but to focus on that question seriously seems beyond me. I think you said it all, Ram. What I'd like to focus on is surely any side that has Steve McLaren on their bench as an assistant coach cannot be, be long for success. 
it just can't happen, can it? I mean, is it possible that Steve McLaren is actually you know reborn as a, as a decent um, as a decent coach? I just can't. And there's something about Ten Hag. I just don't. I don't know. I don't know. Casemiro is a great signing, but who else have they got? They're going to be. I, yeah, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm being biased, but I'm, they I'd look assumed. Good, so, I'd assumed that McLaren was there because of his fluent Dutch and to try and help him translate. For- <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, you know that's a very good point, and I should consider myself educated. So thank you. You're right, but you know- they look like you know they look like one of those high end Kias or Hyundai's or whatever. They really do. That you know they they are pushing uh, pushing for. You look at first, you think, oh, it's a Mercedes, but at the end of the day, it isn't. Don't don't hate me, Ram. Mm. No, 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 no. Okay. I, I agree with you. I agree with okay. you for sure. You know, and, and I think, I and and just like if you look at, we've kind of compared ourselves to Liverpool and United and where we are and stuff like that. Just judging by you know with Mason coming in and, and trying different things and what what we're seeing now with with this squad of players, like at one point last week or the week before, we would have said we need a complete overhaul of everyone. Yeah. But actually, when you look at it, we still obviously do. need up. Still we do. obviously still we do. obviously well, need up upgrades in um, in in mid, in, in defence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 but yeah. when you actually look at what we've got further forward like if you look at our midfield now with everyone fit Benton Kurbasuma mm-hmm. Hoybier Skipsar and then you look at the youngsters coming through and and if we don't sell Kane and or and or Son in the summer we just get upgrades in the back you know the back three and and then have like able you know keep where we are we actually can do things you know and I firmly believe that it's not a, as, as huge a rebuild as we think it's just actually getting the players confident in playing in a different way and, again and I think if we look at Manchester United this time last year when they were a, a mess and I think mm. you know what what I credit Ten Hag with particularly kind of dealing with um, Ronaldo um, not easy at that club and mm. um, you know I think the difference since he well, ostracized Ronaldo really is is marks and it's made a, it's made a real difference to them and I think he deserves mm. deserves credit for that I mean absolutely and that, look I'm sort of quite enjoying this irresponsible loafing position uh, that I'm in right now it's brilliant <laughs> so let me put it so let me just put it plainly we've played the two big giants of the northwest right Man United, for all their like second cup final in a season, and and Ten Hag could win the title, but not really. For all that, for all that Billy Big Bollocks flash stuff from them, they still couldn't beat us over ninety minutes when we only showed up for forty five. Liverpool, mm. we gave Liverpool a three goal start and basically said, "Have your filthy way with us, you horrible, horrible people." <laughs> <laughs> and they only just squeaked by us with the thinnest of margins and the fattest, uh, 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 you know, portion of luck. We're not anywhere near as bad as we think we are. Uh, and I think that actually what this week has proven under Ryan Mason to me is that give these players a bit of confidence in who they are and give them a reminder of who we are as a football club. And someone is going to walk into a situation next season that, you know, with the proper reinforcements is going to be pretty pretty hopeful yeah absolutely yeah. I, yeah. I, I hope the conclusion we don't make from this season is that we don't need 
significant yes. rebuilding because I think I think we do, and and <laughs> I and, and, um, and I think you know whilst there are some good players who are off form there, I think a lot of those players have been signed for a player for a team that sits back and then and counters attacks. And if we want to have more of the ball and if we want to try and control games, then that need you know there's there's changes for that. If we if we hire a similar manager and play in a similar way, then maybe more of those players can st- stay on. But I think we'll all be kind of ripping our hair out having you know, having to you know, go through another cycle of that. Steph. Sorry to do this, and this is terribly irresponsible and disorganised, I know, but I must mention something from the Liverpool game which appears to have escaped the notes and which I'm I'm a little disappointed in us all, but here we are. We haven't mentioned the absolute, uh, what would it be called? Um, Karma? Uh, schadenfreude what, what would be the right phrase maybe schadenfreude of Jurgen Klopp going off at the linesman and pulling his hamstring <laughs> having sprinted to actually abuse an official and then pulling his hamstring I mean uh, that's brilliant I mean you know I'm a Klopp <laughs> fan actually but I have to say I thought his behaviour overall on Sunday both during the match and post has been nothing short of disgraceful and I hope he's embarrassed and I hope that that hamstring is still tight because he deserves it. Right. Let's stop there. <laughs> We've jumped back in time. Let's... It was worth mentioning though, wasn't it? It was. And, and watching him try to style it out after he'd done it was hilarious. I, yeah. I think while, while we're talking about kind of um, stupid things he said, when Mason was uh, querying about the uh, Yotta uh, studs up you know, on the head on Skip and Klopp suggested that he should be worrying about something else. So, Telling Ryan Mason not to worry about head injuries is a bit insensitive and a bit, um, you know, lacks class. Mm. Um, yeah, I so agree. talking to Ryan Mason. So let's just just wrap up this section of the pod uh, by talking about his first week. So on Tuesday, we got confirmation that his coaching team is Matt Wells, who's his acting assistant head coach. So Matt Wells used to be a coach in our academy and then joined Scott Parker at uh, Fulham, uh, Bournemouth, and uh, Club Rouge. Um, has come back. My understanding is he was very highly rated, Matt Wells, when he was was at the club. And I should also um, mention that he's also Cliff Jones's grandson. Uh, Nigel Gibbs, attacking, attacking, acting first-team coach. He's also come up from the academy. Perry Suckling is a goalkeeping coach. And then Gianni Vio is still there as set-pieces coach. Um, so, yeah, let's just reflect a little bit on, on Ryan's first week in the job. So what have we learned about him from these first couple of games? And and what are our first impressions? What do we think? How do you think he's doing? I think, you know, I think he's come, like, even from his first stint and coming into this stint, I think he comes across very well. I think he's got potential. I think he's brave. I think he's he's quite happy to try things. Um, and I also think he's got a, an air of authority around mm-hmm. him, which I didn't necessarily see. But, you know, when I used to see him on the sidelines with Mourinho, I never, I never really saw him as someone that could have that air of authority. Um, but I think he's done well. You know, I, th- I think unfortunately the the results and the, and the manner in which maybe we start games has kind of belied to what potential he has. Um, but I think you mentioned it earlier, Milo. I think if we if you know Levy had been a bit more um, decisive and and actually um, sort of gone to Conte's wishes around Christmas time, and and maybe if they decided to part ways then, and 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 Mason come in, we may we, you know we may well have seen um, a very different set of results. I think that he has done what I wanted more than anything which is he's given me a sense of pride back in the football team because he's given us back Mm. a sense of identity of who we are in the sense of how we are 
how we approach a game of football. I feel it's a lot more comfortable, uh, you know, for Tottenham Hotspur, the way that he wants us to play. Um, I really like the fact that we've got these academy coaches with him. I think that the, the continuity factor there is huge. And I hope more than anything that all of these coaches figure into the next situation. I don't quite know if that's going to be easy if it's, say, a Nagelsmann, um, but I think it would be such a waste if he ends up having to to leave the club. I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, I, I really have been very impressed with his bravery and his courage and his understanding of, of, of what this club should be trying to do. And I think it sets the template for anyone who's coming into the job. Right. Is it is it too harsh of me to say that I'd be very worried if he was anywhere in the mix for the managerial position mm. currently? I mean, for, like he has potential, but I still think he he needs more time. I mean, for me, I think the the bigger issue for us is the the structure, the off field structure. And I think um, you know if we were a better run club, then maybe he could come in there and you know, there'd be you know kind of the you know, director of football and and other. Um, kind of people on that side of the uh, of the club who could support him, and, and and you know he was just doing the coaching. But there's a bit more than that, and there's that that, that void which is probably a bit much. Um, so you know, I think if we were a Bundesliga, you know, equivalent level of Bundesliga club, then quite quite possibly he'd be taking mm. over as manager. But we're you know we're not in that position right now. I I would agree with that. I wouldn't mind him going out and and managing in the championship or or somewhere else after this because I think he needs to test himself at some point. Yeah, and I would quite like him to manage us, and I think it's difficult for him to do that from yeah. inside the club. Um, I I, agree, I think yeah. those are excellent points, and I, I just if I can cut in for a minute, I th- I think that if we were definitely going to manage him, uh, have him as a manager. I would wholeheartedly agree that a championship stint for him would be a great thing. Mm. My my worry would be <laughs> that we'd let him go, we'd let him develop into the fine manager I think he's going to become, and then we'd miss out on bearing the fruit. So selfishly, I almost want to keep him for ourselves as as an as an excellent first team coach or an assistant manager. But but I, I mean I agree the pathway you're suggesting would be the logical one if we want to see him become the best manager he can be. I'd like to think that he would give us first dibs if he, you know, if he does kind of reach that sort of potential, you know, it'd be great to see him at a smaller club to really gauge what he's capable of. And then we know whether he's going to be like, uh, you know, whether he'll be like what, what Vincent company looks mm. like he's going to be, or whether he'll be, you know, like maybe a Chris, Chris Hewton, um, who is kind of a decent, was, is a decent manager, but not kind of at that yeah. elite level. Yeah. The interesting one with Mason, obviously to say, if Nagelsmann was the manager he came in, obviously Nagelsmann had to retire early because of injury. Mason had to retire early because of injury. Mm. Matt Wells also had to retire early because of injury. And I do wonder whether there could be kind of a link or some kinsmanship between them because of kind of those similar experiences they had and how they had to adapt to that uh, and and whether they you know that might help them build a bond. I don't know. Steph. I like your thinking. Oh, I like your thinking. I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, but uh, of course, uh, you know, to throw your own point back at you, which uh, I was I was going to raise a little earlier, uh, you, you've made the, the very astute observation, I think, that, you know, as the way our club is structured, it, it would not necessarily be very supportive for someone like Ryan Mason mm-hmm. if he was to bizarrely be given the job. I mean, which, which he shouldn't be. I mean, I, I agree with both of you. It's far too soon. So, uh, you know, we are at the mercy of, of, of who's mm-hmm. running this club as to whether they see the logic and common sense in, mm. in, in anything of that situation. Yeah, Let's leave it there. Well, I'm sure we'll be coming back to that most weeks over the rest of the season. And um, <laughs> yeah, interesting to see where he ends up next. Um, we've only got one item in the week that was, and it's the fan advisory board that we've talked about quite a bit previously. So I, I don't think 
there's really much for us to discuss here other than that further details were announced earlier this week. Uh, the club have confirmed that there'll be reps from season ticket holders for the men's and women's teams, one Hotspur members, domestic official supporters clubs and international official supporters clubs members. They're taking applications for people to be reps and that the, that closes on Sunday the 14th of May, so a couple of weeks' time. And I know that there's a couple of friends of the pod who are looking to stand. Um, if any of our listeners are standing, let us know because we're thinking about kind of giving a plug or a shout or something to um to friends of the pod or listeners of the pod who are going up for those those positions later on so if you're doing it let us know and we then we'll work out what the hell we're doing later on once we've got that information <laughs> we accept bribes yeah i was going to say we'll work out what the hell we're doing <laughs> once we see exactly what's in that brown lunch bag that you're bringing to the calf <laughs> you're, you're not tempted by the international official supporters club rep steph yeah i haven't thought about it but now that you mention it it might be oh. worth making a run good lord can you imagine imagine if that lot had to contend with me and they'd be, they'd be <laughs> they don't have an edit button they'd be completely horrified <laughs> imagine us as a world-class skateboarding factory <laughs> Daniel would be up for that. Oh, Put some ramps would, on the pitch. And... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. I didn't know that they had an international sport. No, no, no. They if you do they... stand, if you do stand, I'll be dropping Donna a line with some tips on how to shut you up. She's already done it once. She already edited a story I wrote once for the magazine about players' hair. Oh, wow. For the oh, for the for years and years ago, I did a. I was doing freelance writing for for the magazine. And I wrote, a, I wrote a story, my, my entry story into the magazine uh, was about players' hair over the years. And uh, some of my, uh, my, my, my piece came back greatly redacted, I may say, uh, on the basis of the fact that she was afraid of offending several players. To which my point was, in the example of Chris Waddle, for example, look at his fucking hair. Of course yes. he should be embarrassed, and it's my job to say it. As someone who's cut short your stories about hair many a time, I think I'm on her side with this one. <laughs> no metaphor this week. I failed. I failed. Yeah. Anyway. anyway, thanks, Les. That was fun. Fantastic. Thank you. I've, this might become, yeah. I'm wondering if this is going to become a thing. What, me, me chairing and you sat and got the easy seat? Yeah. <laughs> Firing off hot takes while I try to try to steer us through it all. <laughs> It's going to, our <laughs> listeners won't know what's, what's happening next weekend. It's going to be nearly as big a mystery as whether we play for 90 minutes or not, isn't it? <laughs> I, pre- I, prefer, I, pre- I prefer it on the easy side of the table as well. Uh, very good. <laughs> anyway. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, thanks, mate. And thanks for, thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week to discuss our game against Crystal Palace, and we'll see you then.